Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. All sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it on. Huge welcome to everyone's favorite Twitter follow, poker pro Jamie Kurtzstetter. Jamie is a commentator on ESPN, Poker Go, and Run It Up. She's also the co-host of the LFG podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time, Jamie, to go over a hand that everyone really struggles with. <laughs> oh, no problem. Yeah, I know this is a real problem hand for most people. Some people just decide to fold it pre-flop, save themselves some trouble. Seriously, though, set it up for us. You did <laughs> You did pick aces. I'm not even going to try to pick a, a nickname for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can make fun of me all you want. I know some of the other guys that you've had on have picked, like, hands that I have never even played in my life. Um, <laughs> and I had about 10 different aces hands to bring you. Um, but this one is very poignant in my mind because it – is just a really funny hand as a woman in poker to deal with someone's massive ego. And uh, it has always stuck out in my mind, even though this was about a decade ago that this happened. Oh, um, wow. This was pre-Jamie and Jennifer friendship. <laughs> yeah, it's like ages ago. Uh, I was at Borgata, my home casino at the time, um, where I felt the most comfortable. Uh, I was just a 5'10", no limit player at the time. Um, didn't really play many tournaments. So that was the place I played. I'd go to the back room every night, um, sat with probably, you know, two or three of the same regs that I usually would see. Um, and I kind of had a headache that night. I remember not feeling great and I wasn't really like as talkative as I sometimes am. Um, so I just was keeping to myself and grinding and like trying to make a living. Uh, and there's a businessman at the table who, um, didn't really fold much preflop. He was one of those guys that's like definitely coming after work and is in that mindset of like, I didn't drive here to fold. Uh, so I raise aces to 35 under the gun. It folds to this businessman on the button and he makes it $80. And because he really didn't fold a lot of stuff preflop, I didn't have to worry about trying to like get trappy with aces or trying to pick a reasonable size for my four bet. Uh, so I just made it about, I made it 320 uh, and he snap called. Like his chips were in the pot as soon as mine hit the table, which was awesome because I was only about $1,800 deep. So getting that significant of a portion of your stack in with aces pre is pretty cool uh, despite being out of position. So the flop came down ace six three, um, where normally you're pumped about hitting a set uh, when you have aces, it's not quite as cool because it really does kill the action. Um, he's just expecting me to either have hit that board. He can't really, like his tens and jacks and queens and kings that may have 
given me a lot of money now aren't that interested in it anymore. So I decided to check to him and he checks back. Uh, Turn was an offsuit deuce. Um, so nothing really for me to be afraid about. The board's pretty dry. Uh, I checked to him again and he doesn't stab. He checks back. I'm like pretty disappointed at this point. So I'm like, all right, I think this guy just has like a hand with some showdown value that um, is just trying to get to the river. So uh, I think that the way that I play now, I just would have bet this river and been like, all right, this is where like tens through kings looks me up. But at the time, I remember thinking that like I was so used to people trying to bluff me that I thought it was more valuable instead of betting and trying to get this guy to bluff catch versus me that I thought there was a better chance of him trying to bluff me. And luckily my instincts were right in this spot. Uh, an offsuit nine comes out and I checked to him and he overbets the pot. So there was around 650, I guess in the pot and he bets 750, which is awesome. So, uh, I tank for a little bit, like Hollywood a little bit and, I'm thinking, you know, maybe somehow this guy convinces himself to make a call uh, and I jam. <laughs> and no joke, as soon as I went all in, he gets out of his seat and screams, you stupid bitch, <gasps> like loud. The whole room just stops because they're like, whoa, we're about to see a fight. Oh and <laughs> the floor man comes running over and he's like, what just happened here? And another reg in the game. I'm just like completely floored. I, I have no like... I didn't have anything smart to say. I didn't have any, I wasn't upset. I just was like, did this really just happen? And your um, table, and, your hands aren't tabled yet, right? So you don't know. Cause he hasn't, okay. he hasn't acted on his hand yet. Um, he overbet the pot and then he's just sitting there with his remaining, whatever was left, uh, probably about $700 back. Um, and so it was just really funny cause I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm just kind of in shock. And the guy who is another reg that I played with all the time, um, got in his face and he's like, what did you say to her? And the floor guy is here at this point. And the guy's like, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. And he's like denying him. Like the whole entire room just went silent. <laughs> like everyone heard this. You can't lie. I don't know. Um, it sounds like a he said, she said, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the floor guy, uh, like I was a reg there and I feel like they tend to just believe you. And like the other reg said, yeah, this is what happened, whatever. And the floor decides to kick him out because it was just like so ridiculous. And as the floor is kicking him out, I was like, oh, like, I think you guys should let him stay. And he stops dead in his tracks, like all hopeful. And the floor is like, what? And I was like, well, yeah, like, he still has money left. We should probably let him play. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they, they didn't fulfill your out. request. He did, not, he did not make the call. I have no idea what he ended up having. But it just stuck out in my head because I was like, man, some people are really nuts. Like, this is a crazy game we play where someone's ego hurts that bad that they, you know, it, it felt very... It felt like it had a lot to do with me and not a lot to do with him losing money. I think it just like hurt to lose to a woman. It felt very targeted and not like, he, you know, if he just like cursed, I wouldn't feel like his feelings were hurt because he's losing to me particularly. But man, it was like really hateful. And, and I was just, I'll never forget it because it was just this, this weirdest thing, totally unprovoked like super weird guy and he's dressed in a suit he came from work i'm like you're a guy who has a regular job like what <laughs> wow well i mean obviously he was he was bluffing the river and assumed that he had a chance of getting through right and then yeah. he didn't see that check raise coming i mean that's kind of rude right 
<laughs> I think, yes, it was rude. Do you know that some uh, card rooms, like in the Midwest, they still have that plaque up, like as a joke, where it says, uh, no sandbagging allowed in this room? They did not used to allow check raises because they were considered rude. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did know about that, that check raises weren't allowed in some in some games, which I think is really hilarious. I didn't know that sandbagging was a synonym for it because, um, okay, that makes sense in chess, but I, I haven't heard that word used as oh, much in poker. Oh, is that a chess term too? What's, what does it mean in chess? It means in chess when you um, lose games on purpose so that your rating gets low. So it's really oh. it's really legitimate cheating in chess. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then when you have a low rating, do people play games for money then after that when they've basically like handicapped themselves? So it's basically like you're you're saying that you're, um, a, for instance, a, a 1500 player and then they have these special prizes for under 1600 player <laughs> and you've just like lost a bunch of games to get to that level. You can, there are chess tournaments where you could win up to like 10, 20K at that level. Okay. Interesting. How would you prove it? That's kind of tough. It's like you just have to count on people to be morally good because that seems like something where like how do you prove that you've gotten worse at chess and better at chess well it's a little bit i mean there's such there's such records it's not that difficult to prove so it's a it's a a bit risky way to cheat and it's not all that common but i haven't heard of like sandbagging and check raising together so that's really interesting so i assume you never saw this guy again never saw him again and something uh it's funny, like I have some positive things that came from that. The guy who stuck up for me was someone that I battled with all the time. I thought he was a good player. We were never friendly. Um, and we just were always taking big pots off each other and a lot of times battling for the non-regs money in the game. Um, so when that other guy yelled at me, I, I thought that was the least likely person at the table to get in his face and be like apologize to her and it was the first person to do it so it was kind of cool because I'm like it is a good introduction to the poker world that we battle for each other's money and like we are ruthless in game but a lot of people are very honorable outside of the game and like maybe they have respect for you that you just don't see at the table like this guy was not standing for this other guy treating me like that and it was funny because I'm like I don't think I ever even spoke to the other reg we were always just like grimacing as the other one wins the pot from the other so that was kind of cool um and also after this, like in the last 10 years, I think that poker has gotten a lot more friendly to the women in the game. I used to experience more like crappy moments like this where you're like, man, like I am not wanted here. Like it's clear that this person has a problem with playing against me. Um, and I've like witnessed other women being treated really crappy along along those years too. But I feel like it almost never happens anymore. I feel like people, it's not such a novelty anymore. There are so many good women playing that it's not like, oh my God, like, what are you doing here? Did you wander into this room? Did your husband give you money to play? I feel like that is kind of done with now, especially in bigger cities, like in Vegas and Atlantic City. Maybe once in a while, a couple of the Midwest stops I go to, there's a little bit of it. But do you find that that's similar in your experience? I think so. And I think a lot of it is that you do something like that and then it becomes a, a such a popular tweet that the, the guy ends up reading it and realizes like what a tool he is, you know? So it's part of like that public shaming that happens online, I think that stops people from doing it. But I also think that you and I can't necessarily 100% judge because you have gotten a lot more popular, famous since 2009. So you're not going to experience that as much. You probably don't grind um, cash games quite as often. And if you do, people are on better behavior because they don't want to be the butt of your next, you know, viral tweet. 
Um, there's a possibility. I think that, yeah, it's a little bit higher stakes for someone to like attack a person who has friends at the table. I don't think it has to do with even being like more well connected in general in poker or like more well known. I think it's more like the confidence you have when you're sitting and you're friends with everyone at the table, you know, the dealers, you know, the floor people, when someone recognizes that, I think you're not as weak of a person to them you're not as easy of a target and some of these people just want to like steamroll someone they want to say what they want to say and then they want it to just be silent and everyone just accepts it and i think that the more confident you are and the more just like connected to the community you are the harder it is for someone to just like take advantage of you or try to like just be awful. I don't know. I don't know why anyone would want to do it anyway. That's. I don't think I was ever like that when I sat down at a poker table. Like, oh, I'm going to make this person so uncomfortable that they play bad. I'm just like, game select better or like get better at poker rather than try to like harass someone into playing bad. That seems like a really crappy strategy as a human. I feel the same way, but there are some people who are successful with that strategy and you have to recognize that like for some people it is occasionally part of the game. Um, not. I don't think it should be. But if you don't know that about someone, then you could be at a disadvantage. So going back to the hand just very briefly, I actually just, I mean, I love your play so much. A6-3, you said there was a flush draw, right? No, it was rainbow the whole way. Or else I, I feel like at some point I would have felt, especially then, uh, I definitely was even nittier somehow <laughs> than I am now, where I would be like worried about getting sucked out on in a four-bet pot. Because it was significant to me, you know, like I was like, this pot is already big. I don't want to misplay my hand and like let someone catch up. But in this situation, like them catching up is so far fetched. Like I do think this person could have draws in the range, but I think that like he seemed to me a person that was like, I want to see three at all times. So those people aren't really the ones that are three betting the like four or five suiteds and things like that. Those are people who are flatting. They're flatting way too much. So um, when he three bet me and then called my four bet, I was like, I think I can probably narrow his range down to like uh, the ace kings of the world and a bunch of big pairs more so than anything like suited and connected and things like that. Right. And it was ace six, three, deuce nine. And then mm -hmm. you, you, you probably had some kind of gut feeling as well that, you know, maybe based on your, your physical reads or something, because it obviously just turned out so well. And if you, it sounds like if you had bet, he just would have folded. Probably. And I think that that was, I mean, at that time, I definitely put way more stock into table image and the whole field player thing than I do now. I think now, if you still say you're 100% a field player, it just means you like don't want to study. But back then, uh, I did feel like a lot of my hands, like if I had talked to you about this hand 10 years ago, I'd be like, Jen, uh, I don't know you yet, but... <laughs> Uh, it would have been more about these guys always try to bluff me and, oh, they try to push me around. And like, this is why I play this hand this way, because as a woman at the table, this is the way that people approach me. That used to be so much more important in my mind. And now I, I just don't think that's the case. So you'll have one or two random people that think like I can get this person who seems weak to me to fold. But for the most part, uh, I think people are playing more their hands and their ranges and less hey, I'm going to make this girl fold or whatever. But still, in this situation, you probably would have played the flop the same way. And that yeah. does bring me to my next question about how you would play this hand in 2019. I think I would probably play it the same way up into the river uh, where I expect this person to have a pretty strong range uh, where they can 
call a bet on the river. I think that's my best chance of getting some action here is if I bet something kind of smallish on the river, if I put out 400, I think that uh, tens through kings might just call hoping that I have ace king or something. And I don't think I'm getting bluffed into quite as much. I think that I look pretty strong playing like this. You're saying 400 into um, 650, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was thinking, you know, if if you, um, when you said small, I was thinking also against this guy that you played, you might consider betting small and maybe you would have won even more if he just like jammed on you. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Like at that point in my career, I wasn't even like, ooh, let me make this look like a blocker bet. Like that was not even entering my mind at all. Um, and I think, yeah, it's to be cool. As a tournament hand, I've, I've had a couple that worked out recently where I do make that like 20% pot bet. And a person just spazzes out and it's the best feeling in the world. It's like better than hero calling. It's great. Um, but I don't know about this particular opponent, how he would have read it. Um, I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, that's a very satisfying feeling if I was like 200 bucks and he's like 15. I'm like, woo. Well, I think that dynamic's really coming back because, you know, one of the reasons I called the grid this name is that so many people are spending so many hours pouring over these grids as they study poker and a lot of these like 20% river bets are coming back in fashion right as well as over bets because programs are showing that there's so many cases where it's the right play and a lot of the time it is with hands that are good but not that good but then you have to mix in some really nutted hands so people can't just jam on you and you also have to mix in a lot of hero calls. I think it's funny that that dynamic is kind of like potentially coming back into play. I think that's fun in poker that the fact that uh there were things that are considered so bad five years ago that now are like, oh, yeah, obviously that's the play. And it's really funny because this game just evolves so much. Like, do you remember this probably maybe more than five years ago, but defending the big blind on a short stack used to be like a no, you just don't do that. Um, it's like, oh, you have 10 big blinds. You're really going to put one and a half of them into this pot here. Like maintain your fold equity. Don't do things like that in tournaments. Um, and I used to just think like, man, this is like my chance to get back in the tournament, though, not just wither down to seven big blinds, then hope for a double up to get back to like where I'm at. Um, and it did used to strike me as kind of weird. And there were times that like, I would just do it like I was like well I feel like you know I feel like nine eight off has a chance and we'll play okay versus these people and like I'm just gonna put in my one and a half big blinds and see and I just wouldn't tell the people I thought were good at poker those hands I just be like well I think it makes sense to me uh everyone's gonna tell me I'm bad so I'm just not gonna do it I'm not gonna tell them and then now it's like defending the big blind is a must with like such a wide array of hands because people are like well you know you don't want to just keep folding your equity like you decent equity against like a late position raise with this hand and give it a shot give yourself a shot to get back in the tournament I, I think it's funny when i'm talking to someone about a hand or about a poker player and i'm like this person did this like what do you think and they're like oh my god that person must be garbage that hand is so bad and i'm like well you don't know what they're thinking like they might have had some like sick plan for this hand and all you saw was that they bet 20 percent pot on the river and you said oh they shouldn't have that sizing in their range it's terrible and i'm like well in a year or two maybe this hand will like be like a crazy revolutionary way to play the hand. Um, so with poker, it's funny, just like I try not to judge people on like one or two things I've heard or one or two hands I've played against them because certain things come in and out of style and this person might actually be like ahead of the, their time instead of being left in the past for doing something a little bit unconventional. Although I do think that people who study poker a lot and use some of the same programs, they might use bet sizing that people choose to kind of figure out how much that person studies but they, you're right they could be wrong they could uh, not know about especially in a live dynamic they could not know about some reads that the guy had 
Um, but mm-hmm. going back to aces, obviously, <laughs> obviously, this is a hand that really brings amateurs into poker, right? Because that that feeling that of getting aces, of knowing that you can always get it even if something goes wrong, that you can outplay anybody in the world if you yes. have aces. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because this this is a like I learned a little bit about um, YouTube channels and making certain thumbnails and what ones get the most hits. And uh, because I was writing for a like a comedy YouTube channel that I shall not name here. Um, and the funniest thing to me is that no matter what we experimented with, with like tons of cash on the table, expensive chips, beautiful women, whatever, the thing that got the most clicks was pocket aces. People just were like, oh, aces. I love aces. Click. <laughs> it's like the funniest thing. So you're right. It's the dream. Just be dull aces. You're like, I'm invincible for this moment. Right now, I have the best hand. Everything's cool. And then, you know, it, it all goes downhill from there. It's like your birthday. And what is <laughs> – what's the worst nickname for aces? Oh, man. There are so many terrible ones. <laughs> People say – I kind of want to bring them back because, like, nothing makes you sound worse at poker than being, like, got dealt American Airlines or, like, oh, yeah, the weapons of mass destruction. Like, can you imagine if I stopped someone in the hallway – He's like an elite player, and I start my hand history like that, how quickly they'll stop listening. (laughs) (laughs) I think they wouldn't know what you were talking about. Yeah, seriously, because that was from like 20 years ago. Do you have – what's your favorite name for him? Oh, Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know anyone calls him that. That's great. No, I just made that up. (laughs) I'm funny too. Yeah. Dude, I like this new voice. The sick gen voice is pretty cool. It's very sultry, right? Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, because I just mentioned that how funny I am, I wanted to Mm -hmm. ask you about lots of strategy manuals. Tell us like how to play a hand for max value. But for our listeners, what should they look for if they want to make a popular tweet about a poker hand? Like what makes a poker hand funny? A lot of the times like tweets that do well, uh, that get a lot of interactions and stuff are usually just things where like it's an observation at the table. Poker is funny. There's a lot of really weird characters in poker. Sometimes just like jotting down what someone says at the table is funny enough. It's just like in recognizing like what would make people laugh if they heard it. And like like there were there was one where I was just like it's kind of a sad commentary. Like I was in Choctaw for their WPT and uh, my boyfriend and I are on the little shuttle. And the guy is talking to Chris about uh, playing the big tournament, the 3500 and whatever. And then Chris somehow mentions like, yeah, we are playing. And the guy looked at me and looks back at Chris and looks at me again. He's like, you're playing too? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, something so Southern. What did he say? He was like, well, ain't that something? (laughs) And I just like literally wrote down word for word what he said because it was just so funny to me that like, it was such a big deal in his mind and like it was such a it was like a 30 second pause and like stare down in the rear view to be like could this be real like is this girl is also going to go play poker um so sometimes i think those make the best like you don't have to like tell a joke or like come up with something you're like oh this is a great joke like sometimes i just write down what people at the table say and it's like really funny like giving credit to these people for having weird brains <laughs> oh my god you're so right and i constantly muck that up jamie because I feel like I write these tweets and sometimes I add a few words and then I mm-hmm. realize that those like three words like ruined everything. <laughs> so like, you know, what? Like, I just have to to hold off. Do you like, 
you kind of wait or are you just like so good at it now that you kind of get it right the first time? You are really puffing me up here, miss. I don't know. <laughs> like, I think uh, pretty much if something doesn't sound right to me, I put it in the draft. And most of the time I just delete the draft the next day. Because if it doesn't hit me as like, if it doesn't strike me as very funny, I don't think there's like a lot you can do to like make something funny. So I definitely like just put them in drafts and then throw them out when they're not great. Um, but like sometimes something, somebody says something at the table where I'm like, I'm just word for word writing this down. Like I can't get better. I, I don't want to embellish it. I just want to say exactly what this person said because it's hilarious. I think just like authenticity is the most important part. Like editing someone else's tweet, I have to like, figure out what your point of view is and like what you would say and then try to edit it. And like, that's kind of tricky. I think just like when something's like authentic and it's real and it's funny, just like send it out and don't worry about like over editing it. But isn't losing always more funny than winning? Yeah. Oh, self-deprecating humor is my favorite. Cause it's just, it's so low risk too. Like, what are they going to do? Like if you are making fun of yourself, what can people really do? Agree? You're like, yeah, I just said that. So <laughs> it's not really a big deal. And like I tried stand-up comedy for the first time and the joke that got the most laughs and that people related to the most was just a self-deprecating joke. And it, it hit me while I was up there that it was the one I was the least nervous to tell because I'm like, I'm just making fun of myself. So if you don't like it, whatever. Like I've already made fun of myself. So like, what what's the worst that could happen? People don't laugh or clap? Like it's not a big deal. So I guess that would be my advice on Twitter. Just be authentic. Make fun of yourself. Don't put too much strategy and don't put chip counts. I did see your stand-up comedy. I thought you were fantastic, but I mean, you looked really good. So like I, I laughed at that joke because I know like it's real in your head where you were joking about your weight. Yeah. <laughs> you actually did look thin to me. So. Oh, thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard. The The vegan thing is like really good for me. I think it's like making me feel a lot better with more energy and happier and stuff. But I think that that joke, like if I got skinny and was in like sick shape, I would still be able to tell that joke because it's just like recognizing that everyone has this stupid struggle where we like don't approve of ourselves and like no matter what, you're always going to pick yourself apart for something. So I feel like even like a fitness model could like tell that joke and it would still, people would still somewhat relate. And I'm not going to retell the joke because it's only funny in context, but <laughs> you got to, well, no, it was, it's funny. <laughs> you got you can check it out on your Instagram, right? And you're not very active on Instagram, so you're not going to have to go too far back to find it. No, it was like part of my like run it up Reno pictures and stuff. It's like in that little thing. Yeah. So what do you think is the hardest thing about the grid for me? Like, what do you think the hands are going to be really hard for me to get? And who do I really need to get on the air to help? Oh, my God. What you should do when you're trying to fit like fit in the ones that you have not gotten at the end, you should go back and watch the scoop replays from 10 years ago. Um, Tuckman commentated one where Chris and I were dying laughing as if we were watching stand-up comedy. It was so awesome. The things people used to do, the pissing contest, the like six bet all-ins for like massive amounts of money. Like I swear ICM just like wasn't invented yet. Um, that's where you'll get your like nine deuce offs, your nine three suiteds and things like that. So uh, if you're scraping for hands later, I have some in my arsenal where I was just like, I remember them. And it was great because poker used to just be like that. It was like, who has the biggest balls in this spot? Like, who is willing to just piss away $200,000 to show that, like, they can six bet with very little fold equity and not care? And so I think Chris Oliver 
is someone that would be really fun, um, who is just like an online OG who plays a little bit still as far as I know, but he will be able to fill in like 50% of the hands that no one has ever played. Um, (laughs) (laughs) who else? Let me think. Uh, if you have Chris's best friend, if you have Anthony Mayo on, I'm sure he has quite a few colorful hand histories because he is still doing the like field player thing, even online. Uh, who is your like top person? Well, he, is, to he is a New Jersey. Well, I have, of course, heads up players. Oh yeah, they'll have all the hands. Exactly. I, I figure at some point I'm going to interview a lot of players who play heads up or who somehow found themselves heads up in a poker tournament. It does happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> of course, seven deuce would like the easiest one because of the seven deuce game in cash. You could find a million hands for that. I think you won't have that much trouble. I think online poker might be the answer though when you're starting to search for some people who play some questionable holdings. Finally, if there was one thing you could change about the rules of poker, what would it be? Oh, wow. Hmm. Uh, There is a rule in tournaments that I felt like this would be really cool if there was a new tournament style where uh, at any point you can throw in your mulligan chip, you get one in the beginning of the tournament, and they just chop the pot right there. So if you ever do something really, really, really stupid, you can just stop yourself in the middle of it and be like mulligan because everyone has done that thing where you like make a bet where you just as you're putting the chips in you go oh this is not gonna work this is bad um and as soon as the person like starts to slide chips you go mulligan and chop the pot so then if you're at the final table you're like oh my god like jen is here with a good stack and she still has her mulligan oh my god huge favorite so it's not like a rule change but it would be a fun little twist on a tournament that i would probably like to play so instead of calling you a stupid bee that guy could have just had mulligan and taken half of his (laughs) chips back exactly what's fun with that hand though is that like i'll always remember that guy and doubt it was even like a blip on his radar because someone who acts like that probably it's probably not their first time being a total dick so he probably has like a hundred different things in his head he'll never remember me but i'm like oh yeah that was that guy that like gave me 750 dollars and got escorted out of the borgata i don't know how many times he's gotten in check raise to a hilarious blonde <laughs> Well, come out of the shell. Jamie is very forgiving. So if you're <laughs> listening, man, who mm-hmm. got check raised by Jamie Kerstetter, now's your time. <laughs> Ten years ago. We forgive you, right, Jamie? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, seriously, Jamie, it's been so fun. I think this is like the shortest conversation we've ever had. I know. Um, I'm used to being like, uh, cancel my plans for a day if we have a phone call. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I'm like very proud of us. But uh, thank you so much for talking to us about aces. And now nobody else can talk about aces with me on the grid. Is that really how it is? We're just doing so like the suits don't matter. I've just stolen aces from every other guest. You've taken them away. Yeah. Wow, that's great. I feel really special now. You are. You are special. (laughs) Thank you, Jamie Kurtzdetter. Wonderful to have you on the grid. I can't wait to see you soon. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and write a review. Your subscriptions, reviews, shares on social media truly helps motivate me as a quest for 169 intensifies. Also find me at US Chess Women where I host another podcast, Ladies Night. And follow updates on the grid at Jen Shahadi on Twitter and Instagram. No one ever bust. They say I'm lucky. Oh no, no need to bluff With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve Yeah, I got talent